0: to get it going once again. Another weekend, brand new one. It's the Midday Program on the Rural Radio Network. Dirk Christensen with you here. The host with the most. At least the most
1: information, and we have it starting off with the ag news and Joe Gangwish. I won't here. argue with you there. Thank We've you. Sir. Got a lot of information to pass along to you. Now we heard last week, of course, about the big win for beef concerning trade opening up in China, but there are also some concessions agreed to concerning genetically engineered products from the U.S. We'll learn more about that in Ag News at 1213. Also, a bill in Congress would help farmers improve some irrigation systems. We'll take a look at that as well. At 1219, our weekly market visit with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics. Starting off our new marketing week today, we'll get his thoughts at 1219. Also, a new role for former administrator of the Farm Service Agency. That, of course, is Val Dulcini. Susan visited with him and she'll have our newsmaker segment with Val at 1245 five and shaley comes in at 117 she will have more from the national cattleman's beef association concerning that beef trade opening up with china so a full slate of activities for your monday
0: that really uh, had a big effect on everybody's if if not the markets as much as the mood last week
1: didn't it that's right you can always rely on me uh, having some you know taking a day off and big name big news breaking on the day i'm gone so that's why we have lots of folks to cover that is true
0: all right here's jason jorgensen on sports Huskers had their hands full of Michigan State over the
2: weekend. They still found a way to take two out of three from the Spartans, and yesterday's come-from-behind 8-7 victory keeps Nebraska in first place in the Big Ten standings, going to the final three games of the regular season. Keep in mind, it's, it's been a while since the Huskers have actually won a Big Ten title or any kind of title in baseball. So uh, we'll see how they navigate things the rest of this week at Penn State. We'll get the thoughts of head coach... Darren Erstad about yesterday's victory. Also former Husker linebacker Josh Banderas. He would appear to be part of the Broncos plans. They picked him up as a free agent then signed him yesterday to a three year deal worth about one point six million dollars. And they didn't draft any other linebackers, so he's, he's got like his chances there. Yeah. And tonight is the NBA draft lottery where bad teams hope the ping pong balls go their way and I can pick someone to hopefully make a difference. Absolutely.
0: Well, nothing nicer could happen to Josh than to play mm-hmm. at the Broncos. Yes, yeah, so that's
2: great. Hopefully it works out for him.
0: Yeah, and also, I, and I know it's a long way off, but wouldn't it be great to see Nebraska at TD America trade? It KD would. Mm-hmm. Park, yeah. Long overdue. Absolutely. Yep. They'd fill that place up three or four <laughs> times over. Let's go to Bob Brogan on business.
2: Energy companies leading stocks higher in midday trading as the price of crude oil climb keeping major indexes near record highs also of course um ransomware spreads and uh the eddie haskell's of the world are sitting out there smiling right now somewhere there's a guy named eddie that's behind all of this (laughs)
0: Let's bring in Paul Perkins to talk some weather here. Our eye in the sky has his mouth behind the microphone.
3: <laughs> I don't know if that's a good image here or not, but anyway. <laughs>
0: it works for everybody out there. Don't worry about it. Don't worry
3: about it. Just talk weather. All righty. You know it's warming up very quickly as you head into eastern Nebraska From about Aurora on into eastern Nebraska, temperatures already into the low 80s, a lot of upper 70s and some locations across southern Nebraska. This front that lifted or moved through yesterday is a cool front. It's lifting back to the north as a warm front. Also kicking up a little light sprinkle activity this morning from about northeast Nebraska down to around Spalding and also towards the Tri-Cities area, Kearney-Hastings and the Grand Island area. But gradually that front lifting to the north. Resulting in a warm uh, warm afternoon for us today, some strong south winds transporting a lot of moisture to the north, a lot of low-level moisture, so it will feel a bit on the humid side. That moisture teaming up with some disturbances later today for a scattered chance at some thunderstorms there is a slight risk today of severe storms but over western kansas is where we're going to see the main brunt of any severe activity tomorrow a better chance of widespread severe weather activity across the area that's thanks to a cold front moving through and an area of low pressure that will lift northeast through Nebraska, bringing us a better chance of thunderstorms late in the day into tomorrow night. Now tomorrow, that slight risk for severe storms covers central and east Nebraska and central Kansas. We will keep you posted on the prospects of severe weather for tomorrow. There is a bigger chance of thunderstorms arriving by Thursday night and Friday with some low pressure that comes out of the four corners. Currently, it looks like that front will be farther to the south and that'll keep the greater severe threat over kansas and points to the south low pressure slowly departs late in the week that'll keep us a lingering chance of rain friday night into saturday night temperatures for the rest of the week past wednesday going to be seasonably cool late in the week and over the weekend there may be some days where we struggle to even get out of the 50s in the long-term forecast a high likelihood especially early on. Temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas will be cooler than normal this weekend through the Sunday of Memorial Day weekend, so a prolonged cool period there. In that time, daytime highs in central Nebraska usually average in the low to mid-70s, with overnight lows on average in the low 50s. Precipitation this weekend and early next week in Nebraska expected to be above normal, then trend closer to normal the middle of next week through the 28th in Nebraska. An above-normal precipitation forecast the entire time for Kansas from this weekend through the 28th. Soil temperatures at the 4-inch depth. Your soil temperatures at the 4-inch depth is 7 this morning in the upper 50s in the northwest half of Nebraska and that far northwest corner of Kansas. Or, if you're along the north of the line from Norfolk to Lexington and Goodland, soil temperatures in the upper 50s. South of that line, soil temperatures in the low 60s in much of central and east Nebraska and nearly all of Kansas or along and south of the line from Columbus to Kearney and McCook. In the markets today, weather factors include rain focusing on the western Midwest this week and a mild trend for the southern plains wheat areas. A slow-moving storm system will become better organized over the western U.S. before emerging midweek across the central plains. It will cross the upper Great Lakes late on Thursday. Rain and locally severe thunderstorms will affect portions of the plains and upper Midwest with this system. A second system late in the week will result in additional rain across the central and southern plains, also the mid-south. Planting delays from the rain expected in the northern plains and western midwest. Drier conditions, though, in the eastern midwest will improve their chances of getting to the field. In the southern plains, the week continues to recover from the April cold and snow. Warm and dry weather would help, but some unsettled and cooler weather is expected late in the week, but it is warm and dry for the time being. In Argentina, locally heavy rain in store for east central crop areas to disrupt their harvest. Crop areas of England, they received moderate to locally heavy rain this past weekend. and That was the first time in six weeks and rather timely for wheat production prospects for them. England. Yeah. Uh, a little dry there for a while. Never
0: so. hear about English yeah. weather. Yeah, uh, it
3: weather. has to be kind of earth-shattering a lot I of times for about. that one. <laughs> yeah, well, there's one right
0: there. And if you, uh, I of course, want to remind you that our uh, ag weather today is brought to you by Coolman Repair. Thanks to them for sponsoring And thanks to weathermen everywhere for bringing us a couple of very, very nice weekends. Thank you, sir.
3: Yes, uh, it it didn't snow this weekend for the second time in a row, so we were very happy (laughs) about that one.
0: (laughs) When do you need weather any time? KRVN.com.
1: Here's a look at Ag News. I'm Joe Gangwish on the Rural Radio Network. Biotech seed developers scored a win with the U.S. China trade deal announced last week, in which China committed to moving ahead on reviews of genetically engineered seeds, some of which have been in the approval pipeline for years. But the biotechnology innovation organization is holding the confetti for now. Joseph DeMond, who heads the International Affairs for the Group, which represents seed companies, says considering the history on this issue, the ultimate test of success will be for China to follow its process and quickly approve the eight pending biotechnology applications and establish a synchronized, timely, and predictable process moving forward. Meanwhile, investors who have amassed big sets uh, or big bets rather against corn right now they soon could be disappointed. Recent government projections which call for a decline in U.S. production here in the coming season offer another reason for the grain to maybe pop higher this year. The Department of Agriculture estimates last week that corn production will fall by a larger than expected seven percent in the 2017-2018 growing season to 14.1 billion bushels. These supply constraints could bolster U.S. corn prices and prices surged two percent after USDA's report last week, helping bring the gain for the year about five percent. Jack Scoville is a vice president at Price Futures Group in Chicago. He says he thinks prices could approach four dollars a bushel compared with the recent 371. He says it's the market seeing significant reduction in planted area for the coming year of course he says weather will be a key determinant on that price moving forward well with usda moving forward on reorganization one moving or one former administrator called on uh, moving forward a good thing. Susan Littlefield has more on that for us.
4: With the reorganization set to take place with the USDA, former administrator of the Farm Service Agency, Val Dolcini says we need to look at this as a good thing. And a good example of that is when the USDA created the service centers to make it easier on those in ag
5: view that man or woman that walks through the door, whether they're a farmer, a rancher, or just a rural citizen looking for information about USDA program, as one common customer and not as an FSA customer or an NRCS customer or a rural development customer or any of the other uh, agencies that call USDA home. I think if we view those folks as a common customer, we can serve them better. We can achieve some greater administrative and programmatic efficiencies, and we can save the taxpayers some money uh, in the process. So I think that this is a good thing for folks to examine
4: carefully. And Dulcini said, of course, the administration hasn't fully rolled out what they're going to do, but it's got to be a good thing, he said, for not only USDA, but for those that use the system.
1: That's Susan Littlefield with that report. China's announcement late last week to open their market back up to U.S. beef has been a work in progress. Let's get more on that from Shaley Peters.
6: There's still some work to be done before the first shipment heads to China, and while there have been similar announcements in the past, Kent Backus, NCBA Director of National Trade, says China's most recent news is a culmination of meetings past.
7: Uh, this latest announcement really focuses more, I think, on talking about the culmination of, of all the meetings for the technical discussion. And so that's what we're hoping to see here in the very near future. I think it's also important to realize that with this July deadline in place, you know we're hopeful to see those details from the protocol here very soon. Uh, there's a goal of trying to restore beef access or have beef arrive in China by a deadline, the latest of July 16, 2017. Well,
1: that's not too far away. You can catch more information, of course, on that beef story at ruralradio.com, including many of these interviews via podcast. This is the Rural Radio Network.
8: Welcome back to the program, and we talk with Mike Zuzulo, Global Commodity Analytics. We see the winter wheat prices extending the losses here, pressured by a little bit of commercial selling, I would guess. Mike, what's the story?
9: Yeah, I think you got two big things going on today, Dewey, that really offsets uh, some of the conversations you have with producers around the country in terms of problematic corn and bean planting progress. But you've got, I think, the trade relitigating the wheat supply that USDA put out. Global numbers just ballooned last week, and we didn't really trade that. We traded the shorter corn numbers, and we really didn't price in much of the increase in the wheat supplies globally, if you ask me. And, you know, as we talked right before the we went on the air, you, you're seeing improved demand in wheat. You saw it in the wheat export inspections today, but it's not enough to keep up with USDAs piling more wheat on in their monthly reports. I think the second thing is we're just flat out moving into a bearish crop conditions report being priced in today. We think the trade is is sinking. You're going to see bigger corn acres being uh, utilized as far as planting again because you've dried out and warmed up that has come at the expense of maybe not seeing as many bean acres planted so trades buying beans selling corn and i think they they believe that the wheat crop conditions are going to be really improved dramatically compared to what they were expecting maybe three or four weeks ago
8: world weather does that continue to be watched
9: yes it does and i think you've had a little bit of um, pressure alleviated there we had some european french spanish crop problems they're still there but they're not as bad the market has priced them in in europe it was interesting, we had quite a divergence between the European wheat price action last week and the U.S. price action last week. So there is a premium over in Europe right now, and it keeps us very competitive. So we're not bad in terms of uh, wheat supply demand as far as competitiveness. It's the overall stocks, and I think the trade assumes that Argentina and South America will be right there to snatch any business that they can from us.
8: We're talking with Mike Zuzulo of Global Commodity Analytics. And you've got a trading range here of about 20 cents in the July corn contract, 10-day, 20-day, 40-day, 100-day and 200-day moving averages are virtually the same.
9: And you've got a major pennant forming in the monthly chart on the corn and on some of the weekly and monthly charts and some of the key commodity indexes, uh, the weekly wheat chart. You've got a tightening coil-like market that says we're ready to spring one way or the other. And so I'm, I'm saying to clients, and I'm glad you brought it up Dewey. I think you've got to you know, abide by the technicals. And I think bottom lining it out, unless we see something important and drastic in the crop conditions for the winter wheat conditions specifically, the trade's probably going to assume that the wheat has been made, that it's going to be in the bin. So the only thing that's going to turn them off that is when we start running it through the combines and, and seeing it actually stack up in the hoppers.
8: And the trade is going to continue to be more focused on new crop, Corn and soybeans.
9: I think that's exactly right. I think that the, the commercial market that you brought up at the top of the show feels very well uh, taken care of. There's going to be ample supplies that have to be pushed out by producers for cash flow. USDA is suggesting you got great stocks, so there's not going to be any kind of commercial squeeze unless the uh, government or the uh, actual farmer or something weather wise really pushes us to the other, other side of the coin.
8: And quickly, is there a chance uh, $4 corn or, or $10 soybeans, which is more of a chance to reach?
9: I think $4 corn is a lot easier for me to see because the supply-demand, the short fund co- component where they're near a record-short managed money position. and I think they've run this wheat down to within about a dime of its major lows.
8: Thanks, Mike. Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics.
0: You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, NU certainly had its hands full with Michigan State over the weekend. The
2: Huskers had a rally to beat the Spartans 8-7 to yesterday to take the Series 2 games to 1. It was senior day for Nebraska, and head coach Darren Erstad was glad to see his team go out on top.
10: I'm big on these kids getting those moments and seeing them get excited in the dugout, seeing them fight back through some tough times against a team that just would not quit. Gosh dang it, Michigan State just keeps on coming and- and, and,
2: uh, yeah, we found a way. Erstad made his comments on the Husker Sports Network. That victory helped keep Nebraska top the Big Ten standings going into the final week of the regular season. Nebraska wraps up the year this weekend at Penn State. Looks like former Husker linebacker Josh Banderas is a part of the Broncos' plans. He signed a three-year deal over the weekend with Denver worth about $1.6 million. Stephen Kohoy won the Big Ten men's pole vault title this weekend, leading three Nebraska track and field athletes to Big Ten individual championships. Kohoy, the senior from Grand Island, Came the Big Ten pole vault champion for the first time after finishing second four times in his career. And the K-State women, they won their first outdoor Big 12 track championship since 2002 yesterday as they were able to hold off Texas. Former Princeton forward Hans Braese will finish his career at Iowa State. Cyclones announced today that the 6-foot-9 forward will join them next season as a graduate transfer. He averaged 12 points and 8 rebounds per game for the Tigers during the 2014-15 season but had missed the last couple of years due to injuries. Nebraska was also one of the other schools that he had visited this spring. And a night that's normally for the NBA's biggest losers has huge consequences this time for the greatest champions as the league holds its annual draft. Lottery tonight. Of course, there's plenty at stake for teams such as Philadelphia, New Orleans, and Sacramento, whose draft strategies can change enormously if the ping pong balls bounce right in a New York hotel ballroom. But for the Celtics and Lakers, who were busy playing each other in the NBA Finals back when the lottery was instituted in the mid-80s, the swings could help determine how quickly they can keep moving forward. Even though Boston had a great season, they have one of the early picks thanks to a trade they made a couple of years back to Brooklyn. And district golf started up across the state today in the state of Nebraska. In all four classes, those district tournaments will wrap up tomorrow. And the Boys State Soccer Tournament wraps up today and tonight in Omaha. In Class B at South Sioux City gets undefeated Elkhorn South for the title. That one starts at 5. That will be followed by the Class A state title matchup as Creighton Prep takes on Omaha Westside. That one's due to start around 7.30. That's a check of sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural
10: Radio Network. Highs today in Nebraska, mainly in the 80s, with some lower 90s in the southwest. I'm Dave Schroeder. Governor Pete Ricketts has announced that all U.S. and Nebraska flags are to be flown at half-staff today in honor of Peace Officers Memorial Day. The guidance is per White House proclamation issued mid-morning. Flags will be flown at half-staff until sunset this evening. A report from the Nebraska Crime Commission says that the disproportionate percentage of black drivers pulled over by Lincoln police has climbed over the last five years, even as police officials gave more attention to the problem. Black drivers accounted for about 1 in every 10 motorists pulled over last year, even though African Americans only accounted for a little over 4% of the city's population. The report released in March highlights the racial disparities among traffic stops for agencies like the Lincoln Police Department, but doesn't give an exclamation behind them. Police officials deny racial profiling drives the disparity, the commission has been tracking data on racial breakdowns of traffic stops and the results since 2001. AP correspondent Louise Watt reports experts are giving urgent advice on how to protect against the global ransomware cyber attack.
11: People should update their systems. Also, authorities are in particular warning government departments to make sure that any infected computers are taken offline. Therefore, they hope they can stop them infecting the rest of the networks.
10: The full extent of the damage from the cyber attack felt in 150 countries is unclear and could worsen if more malicious variations of the online extortion scheme appear. Kansas legislators have advanced a proposal to raise a modest amount of new revenue by imposing Kansas's sales tax on some services while promising a future cut in the tax on groceries. The Kansas House approved the measure Monday. The measure would raise about $115 million over two years by imposing the 6.5% sales tax on a few services and would cut the tax on groceries in the year 2020. Meanwhile, the legislature's annual session in Kansas has reached its 91st day, with leaders having budgeted for 100 days. The session's 90th day was yesterday. Session lengths have varied widely over the past decade. A 73-day session last year followed a record 114-day session in 2015. News happens anytime, anywhere. Send word to us with a tip under the News tab at krvn.com. In the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder.
4: The former administrator of the USDA's Farm Service Agency isn't letting grass grow under his feet. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Valdosini, the former administrator for the FSA, has spent some time since leaving that role, keeping an eye and promoting what's happened in farmers' markets, agriculture, with his new position. That starts June 1st.
5: That's right. Susan, you know I have stayed busy on the ag front. I've been uh, working with some local farmers and ranchers in the Maryland and Virginia area and talking to them a little bit about better ways to access USDA programs and tools and services and I've embarked on a farmers market tour of, of the, the states around this area too and, and doing a little bit of blogging on that front, but professionally I'm going to become the president and CEO of an organization called the Pollinator Partnership beginning on the 1st of June and that's an international conservation organization that's focused on the health and habitat and conservation issues related to the world's pollinators and those range from honeybees to native pollinators to butterflies to some of the other critters that uh, pollinate fruits and vegetables and other plants all over the world. Uh, this is an issue that's critically important to American agriculture. You know, a third of the food that is produced in this country is touched by a pollinator in one form or another. So I really look forward to working with my former colleagues at USDA as well as with a whole new group of stakeholders around the country to work on good science, good research and good outcomes for pollinators.
4: Well, and it's been a very hot topic amongst all those in agriculture knowing the economic impact that these pollinators have on their crops every year.
5: That's absolutely right. You know, I think that uh, the work that we were able to do in the Obama administration to, pardon me, elevate this issue to one where, uh, you know, folks in production ag were paying closer attention and where others who have been involved in these issues in the conservation community over the years were coming together to you know, make sure that the policies we were talking about and the solutions that we were proposing really made sense for those who work in the field every day on these issues. I look forward to bringing the perspective of somebody that's worked closely with production ag over the last eight years uh, to these conversations and bringing the relationships that I've been able to build with folks here in Washington, but in all 50 states, really, uh, you know, to make sure that these issues continue to have a real elevated focus, and that the new team that Secretary Purdue is pulling together at USDA and throughout the administration are as focused on pollinator issues as we were in the Obama administration. I'm certain that they will be. Really look forward to uh, working with folks here in Washington and throughout this country on issues uh, as we begin to talk in earnest about the 2018 Farm Bill and some of the conservation and pro-pollinator policies and programs that existed in the 2014 bill, and really making sure that those are uh, embedded into farm legislation as we go forward. Everyone has a stake in the health of pollinators, whether it's commercial honeybees or native pollinators or, uh, you know, birds and butterflies, for that matter, who, you know, impact our fruits and vegetables around the nation, and so I look forward to bringing some of my relationships and experiences to bear on behalf of the, the nation's pollinators. It's going to be a lot of fun.
4: And it's pretty cool, Val, that so many companies, I mean, I think of Bear and the work that they've done for bee care, and then the, the youth trend that is out there of these young adults, whether they're still in high school or just graduated, are embracing and wanting to get more involved with pollinators, raising bees, uh, and being proactive in, in their plantings and what they're doing.
5: Well, that's absolutely correct. You know, there is a lot of interest on the part of seed companies, of agrochemical companies, of national conservation organizations, on the part of academics, government officials, and others in making sure that we're able to coalesce around good collaborative programs that benefit pollinator health. You know, we spent a lot of time, and I certainly personally spent a lot of time working on urban agriculture issues in my time as the administrator at the agency and this fits hand in glove with that as well here in the district of columbia for example there is a local statute that promotes beekeeping in your backyard here in washington dc and that's just one example of i think a lot of cities around the country that are you know looking to promote urban agriculture to promote uh, backyard beekeeping and certainly there's a very active group around the nation that promotes the health of honeybees in general so it's going to be a great opportunity for me to continue to stay involved in agriculture in a new way in this role, uh, one where though I'll have an opportunity to continue to, to to work with my friends at the department and on the hill and elsewhere in town to make sure that we're all pulling in the same direction on this
8: issue.
4: Well, a great opportunity, and I look forward to to work with you as you take on this new adventure because I have a soft spot for bees. So. Uh, Looking forward to to seeing what you do to be able to increase the, the consumer and the producer's knowledge of the pollinator industry.
5: Well, thanks very much. You know that I'll keep you posted on the things that we're doing on this topic.
4: My conversation with Val Dulcini. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network.
8: Next, we talked with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Did you say volatility is going to be around in the cattle futures for a while?
12: I sure, certainly did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to second that vote. No. Uh, it, uh, it will be around for quite a while. I'm, uh, until we get the open interest down in the cattle, uh, you, you can expect it. Uh, uh, but anyway, we finish sharply lower again uh, Uh, after uh, attempting to rally early i mean we opened higher but uh, uh, we soon failed and uh, down we came i think a lot of it uh, had to do with uh, uh, we did trade some cash cattle uh, uh, late friday uh, a little bit softer uh, and i the uh, uh, packers don't seem too interested uh, on this start of this week so uh, that Put a lot of pressure on once again and uh, down we came so triple digit losses in both cattle and feeders uh, in this after uh, limit up on friday in the feeders so uh, the volatility is definitely there definitely will not go away for a while in the hogs a little bit more benign uh, we did finish mixed a little lower in the front end a little higher in the back end uh, and mainly a pretty quiet trade really And I think it was mainly due to uh, some profit-taking. We're we're still leading the uh, index by uh, quite a bit, and uh, the uh, cutouts at noon came out uh, unchanged, which I think might have been a little disappointing also. So I think some profit-taking hit the market. As far as the uh, cattle tomorrow, I would look for uh, more uh, volatility. Uh, Cutouts uh, were mixed at noon and uh, light volume in the boxes.
8: Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. I'm Dewey Nelson.
6: Late Thursday evening, news broke of China opening up trade to U.S. cattlemen by announcing the reopening of their market to U.S. beef. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. In a conference call on Friday, National Cattlemen's Beef Association went over some of the details of what this means for U.S. cattlemen. And president and Nebraska producer Craig Uden said this is something they've been working towards for over a decade. It
13: would be a mess. Regaining access to the market in China has been a long Priority for the cattlemen and NCBA members in particular, uh, we have been working closely with this administration in the process and will continue to be engaged as the negotiations are finalized. Being locked out of the world's largest market for 13 years, we welcome this announcement, and an agreement has been made to restore U.S. beef to China. This is an issue we've been working on as I said, for over a decade, and it's great to see it come to fruition. Chinese market means access to 1.4 billion new customers of U.S. beef. Right now, with a growing middle class that's larger than the entire United States population, these middle-class consumers are buying record amounts of protein, and China is becoming one of the greatest importers of beef in the world. With that said, with trade accounting for over $300 a head and growing demand internationally for U.S. beef, that number will continue to grow, bringing more value back to uh, the U.S. cattle producers. This is really good news, great news for the cattle producers, and we appreciate uh, the Trump administration for prioritizing U.S. beef.
6: Director of National Trade Kent Backus goes on into detail of what this will look like moving forward.
13: Well, if we look
7: at the summary document that was released by the Department of Commerce, uh, there are a few little clues that are there. Uh, first and foremost, there's one more round of technical consultations between the U.S. and China. And secondly, following those consultations, China is to allow imports of U.S. beef beginning as soon as possible or before a deadline of July 16, 2017. So uh, we're very excited about this development. Uh, this, is, uh, this is another step closer to restoring access to China, as you will recall. Back in September, the Ministry of Agriculture announced that it was lifting the ban on U.S. beef. And so that was really the the first step towards uh, putting beef back on Chinese shelves. And now we've gone through the the technical process, Uh, there's been a lot of uh, discussions. Uh, Our government has visited and and received visitors from the Chinese government um, and worked with them for the last several months to try to uh, address all their questions and concerns. Uh, given the diversity of our industry and uh, the vastness of the Chinese uh, economy and their and their regulatory uh, schemes, you know this is uh, this is obviously something that's taken a long time to discuss. Uh, but we're very excited that this announcement uh, is is really a culmination of the uh, of the the recent meeting between President Trump and President Xi at Mar a Lago. Uh, And we're excited that beef was the top, was the number one point of the 10 points that were included in this 100-day plan. So um, we are excited to learn more about this. We're excited to see the uh, potential of U.S. beef entering into China.
6: Again, hearing comments from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association on the announcement from China about opening their markets to U.S. beef. For more on this news, find our podcast and stories by visiting ruralradio.com. I'm Sheila Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network.
10: Grain
8: markets today were mixed. Soybeans higher, wheat and corn lower, led by the losses in wheat futures. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. With us today, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. We'll start with the wheat, and you saw some commercial selling today, didn't we?
11: Yeah, we did. Really from the jump. Last night, uh, have uh, a few guys I work with uh, on the commercial side down in Texas. They they were selling early and often uh, all through the night and this morning. And I think you're just seeing some early commitments being made for folks who either going to be harvesting early or maybe realizing that what their crops are going to look like. So uh, at this point, hard to find anything that's really moving the market. Global markets have pretty much been stagnant. So I think we'll come back from this. Um, but I tell you what, there's some things going on overseas with a couple of big commodity players uh, that could have you know some push on the market right now and that might be why we're seeing you know oats down four percent at one point and wheat down three plus percent at a certain level today so uh, certainly not the way i'd love to start the week out but um, in the case of corn and beans it's just groundhog's day three sixty seven half and nine sixty on the new crop is uh... isn't gonna you know change anything in the short run
8: things don't change much for that july corn contract either in that twenty-cent range for seven months this is something that needs to be broken at some time, doesn't it?
11: Yeah, you think so? You think so? And, and I mean, really, the the more boring. If you want to look at boring shit, <laughs> look at the spreads. Look at the you know new crop over old crop spreads, which you know at this time in years past have been rocking and rolling, moving three or four cents a day. Which you know at this point, since April, the middle of April, so a month from from this last month, July over December corn has moved. I think a cent in a cent range, hmm. which hasn't provided any change change in basis, haven't really given anybody the incentive to trade at all. So, met with a guy from Informa last week, and he talked about how the overseas buyers are really frustrated with the U.S. farmer that just they're not letting go of any physical product. Meanwhile, the U.S. farmer is frustrated with the uh, the buyers who aren't upping their bids, and I think we worth the standoff here. And I wonder. You know, the sellers, the buyers need to buy, of course, to meet needs, but but the sellers, in my opinion, have to sell because they're up against the wall here with old crop. So shorter term here, I, I, I kind of think we're breaking out to the downside, given that, you know, we're seeing a lot of these other markets fall. But the key, key, key is in wheat, in my opinion. If wheat can go, corn can go. But at this point, with wheat down, I, I don't think corn has a lot to stand on.
8: Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. And uh, go to their website for more information, danielsagmarketing.com. Corn was 3 to 4 lower, soybeans 1 to 3 higher, wheat as much as 11 and a quarter lower. I'm Dewey Nelson.